This podcast touches upon some complex topics. The creators have endeavored to deal with the issues honestly and with the sensitivity they deserve. They have also reached out to all key players for their comments and have endeavored to present a balanced and factual account. We ask that listeners consider each episode in its full context. This episode of Saga contains some homophobic language. Now homosexuals and lesbians want to redefine marriage and family. Why so? Do we want a Singapore where same-sex marriage prevails? indicates environmental factors such as troubled relations with the same-sex parent and child abuse as significant causal factors in same-sex attraction. has overstepped the boundary as an MMP when he chose to represent the homosexual interest group. It was the 2009 Annual General Meeting of AWARE, Singapore's leading gender equality organisation. But long-time member Tan Ju Him wasn't listening. Instead, she was Googling, searching the names of the new members in the room who were dominating the election proceedings. Googling was just this heart-pounding, head-throbbing feeling. The search had quickly turned up a series of anti-gay letters published in local newspapers, The Straits Times and Today. Most were written around 2007, when a big national debate had emerged around gay rights in Singapore. One letter was by Angela Tiang, a new member who was now having a heated exchange with the veteran members at the AGM. Two letters were by newcomer Jenica Chua, who had just won the position of Honorary Secretary on AWARE's Executive Committee. And six were by another new member, Dr. Alan Chin, the lone male in the room. He had been quietly counting election votes all afternoon. The letters suggested a couple of alarming ideas. One, that these newcomers, who had so far acted as disparate individuals, might have a connection they hadn't yet revealed. And two, that underlying this connection was a particularly worrying ideology. So it's just this really sinking feeling like I have a stone on top of me and this is it, there's there's nothing to be done. Just watching it happen, you know, um, watching it move to its logical conclusion without any of us having any power to do anything to change it. Juhim had another reason to be alarmed. Unlike most of the other aware veterans in that room, she knew these people. Perhaps not these specific people, but she knew their ilk. She had a history with them. But what were they doing at AWARE, an organisation that stood for equality and inclusion? Drama 2 apparently at the AWARE office. Who would want to take over AWARE? I mean, why? We are pro-family. We're pro-women. Pro-Singapore. Surely you must be feminist at heart. Surely you must believe in uh, non-discrimination, that the woman have a bad lot in life as it is now. I'm Bharati Jagdish, and this is Saga, Episode 3, The Letters. So, uh, Section 377A is the law that criminalises sex between men. This is Alan Sia. Alan is an ad man. He's also a prominent figure in the movement for LGBT rights in Singapore. The law he's referring to here is Section 377A of Singapore's Penal Code. 377A prohibits, quote, any act of gross indecency between male persons, whether in public or private. If charged, a man may be imprisoned for up to two years. 
It is a colonial era law uh, that we inherited from uh, our colonial masters, uh, Britain. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Singapore has still not repealed it, as have many countries uh, from the uh, Commonwealth. Um, so uh, it's still a hugely damaging uh, law for not just the gay community, but uh, for the entire LGBTQ community, simply because it institutionalizes discrimination. 377A is the root of a lot of prejudice and oppression, silence and erasure in Singapore. A lot of things cannot happen because 377A is still uh, there, even though it's not enforced. So positive portrayals of LGBTQ are censored in the media. There's no protections for LGBTQ people in the workplace. There's no proper education in the schools to deal with uh, sex education, uh, whether it's bullying uh, or counselling. So all these things are terrible legacy of uh, Section 377A. Back in 2006, the Singapore government announced that for the first time in two decades, they would undertake a major review of the nation's penal code. During this review, the government decided to repeal Section 377. Section 377 criminalized sexual acts, quote-unquote, against the order of nature, such as oral and anal sex, between anyone, including heterosexual parties. In the same breath, however, the government recommended retaining Section 377A, which applied specifically to men having sex with men. Naturally, the gay community was angry. Angry and ready to do something about it. In fact, Alan and his friends drew inspiration to put up a fight from a rather unlikely source. Hello, this is Ian McKellen. I'm speaking to you from Singapore. Well, I've had the most wonderful time with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, and that's Sir Ian McKellen. The beloved English actor, famous for his iconic roles as Gandalf and Magneto, and for being an openly gay man. In July 2007, Sir Ian was in Singapore for an international tour with the Royal Shakespeare Company, performing in King Lear and the Seagull. Uh, and Ian McKellen is a mischief maker and a gay activist. While in Singapore, Sir Ian had made an effort to speak up against 377A every chance he could get, including on a morning talk show that didn't know what hit them. I think it was the Channel News Asia morning show. And uh, on the morning show, they had asked him, so... Yeah, just one last question. Um, what do you hope to do in Singapore during your free time? And his answer was... I'd be rather controversial. I, I, I'm a gay man, and uh, I, I gather that's not a very popular thing to be. Uh, mm -hmm. Although maybe the laws are going to change, and I do hope they do change quickly. But I'd be looking for a gay bar, if there is such a thing. <laughs> so that's what I'd be looking for. And, you know, the, the, the host of the show didn't know what to, how to respond to that. In a country that routinely scrubbed depictions of homosexuality from its media, this was either embarrassing or delightful, depending on who you were. Alan got the chance to meet Sir Ian one night, so he picked the actor's brain about gay activism. And uh, he was incredibly uh, inspiring, both in terms of what he was telling us. Uh, basically, don't just accept things for what they are. It wasn't the only thing that inspired us, but it, it, it happened right before and we were like, you know, let's just do this, you know, let's just start this website, let's see what happens. A group of Alan's friends launched a website, repeal377a.com, 
The site encouraged the public to sign an open letter to Singapore Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong, asking him to abolish the law that criminalised gay sex. The open letter racked up more than 8,000 signatures, accompanied by personal testimonials and celebrity endorsements. Meanwhile, another band of gay activists was working on a plan of its own to abolish 377A. George Huang, an entertainment lawyer, and Stuart Ko, founder of a local LGBT site, had an idea. What if they got a member of parliament to table a parliamentary petition challenging the constitutionality of 377A? The pair needed one more co-petitioner for this. That's when George reached out to Tan Ju Him, who had recently ended her term as president of AWARE. Uh, one of my best friends at university came up to me um, in second year, and my brother came up to me the, the year I graduated. So, you know, two people who are very, very close to me um, came up to me as gay. In 2007, Juhim had co-founded an organisation called SAFE with three other women. SAFE stood for Supporting, Affirming and Empowering Our LGBTQ Friends and Family. I think at that time, a lot of parents were still very conscious about, you know, talking about gay children and gay relatives. We had a few activities, but there wasn't a lot of demand. Still, it was enough that word reached George Huang. He asked Juhim to be a co-petitioner on his and Stuart's petition. Remember the fear of being political that Operation Spectrum had planted back in 1987? Nothing like this petition, so open an argument for gay rights, had ever been attempted in Singapore's history. So Juhim was nervous. The day I found out, I couldn't sleep that night because I was like, it was very much, it's up to me or it's nothing. But finally, she sat up in bed and shook herself free of the paranoia. If I declined, then there'd be nobody, mm. you know. So it, it felt, um, I felt like I had to do it. So Juhim told George and Stuart, I'm in. The guys had already found a nominated member of parliament who was willing to table their citizens' petition. This NMP was Siu Kam Hong, a trained lawyer known for his progressive views and interest in activism. When George approached Kam Hong for this... There was no hesitation. I, I, I told him yes. Mm. I didn't really think through what it would be like, what it would entail, um, and you know, I frankly, I didn't really care. Mm. Um, it was just the right thing to do. At the time, it really felt like the LGBT community was kind of an easy target for people. Uh, there had no voice, there were no allies in Singapore. Uh, you know, there was no like public support for, for that position. And so it felt like it was easy for people to pick on them. And it just felt completely unfair. And the things that were being said were just so wrong. If I, as a straight Chinese male who's a lawyer in Singapore, don't speak up, then, you know, that community would never be able to speak up. Right? And you know, it would be a terrible world if we only speak up for the things that matter to us personally. That is so selfish. That's not how we build a society. George, Stewart and Juhim got to canvassing. Slowly and steadily, their petition garnered more than 2,300 signatures. But of course, this being Singapore, any optimism is always <laughs> tempered with a 
realization that um, you know things may not go according to what we think. They anticipated the arguments from the government. The the reliance on the silent majority that we are an Asian society, we're not ready for this yet, and this is a a Western uh, concept. Where while the irony is that 377A is actually a Western import. When he tabled the petition in Parliament on 22nd October 2007, Siu Hong tried to take those ideas apart, arguing that retaining 377A while repealing 377 was discriminatory and unconstitutional. He would later recall his own nerves as he took the podium. He was, after all, the first politician to ever make such a case in the Singapore Parliament. Yet in videos of the speech, Kam Hong is eloquent, assertive, and righteous. The repeal of 3778 is not a gay issue. It is not about gay rights. It is not just for gays or friends or relatives of gays. No. It is about fairness, justice, and non-discrimination. It is about tolerance, understanding, and inclusiveness. It, it is about upholding the fundamental protections afforded by the Constitution, the basic pillars underpinning our country. These are issues for all Singaporeans. He named talented Singaporeans who had left the country for good because of their sexual orientation. He said that decriminalizing gay sex was not tantamount to endorsing it. He talked about the state's obligation to uphold the rights of every citizen, not just those in the so-called majority. Some have said that Singapore is not ready, that this is not the right time. I disagree. I say that there is no wrong time to do the right thing. Now is the time to do the right thing and repeal 377. Then came the opposition, led by Kam Hong's fellow NMP, law professor Tio Li An. Like Kam Hong, Tio shook parliament with her fervent conviction, but for very different reasons. Like Kam Hong's speech, Tio's has carved out its own place in local law, though many would sooner forget it. Sir. The arguments to retain 377A are overwhelmingly compelling and should be fully articulated so legislators can make informed decisions and not be bewitched by the empty rhetoric and emotional sloganeering employed by many radical liberals. First, to say a law is archaic is merely chronological snobbery. Second, you cannot say a law is regressive unless you first identify your ultimate goal. If we seek to ape the sexual libertine ethos of the Wild Wild West, then repeating 377A is progressive. But that is not our final destination. In her speech, Tio unleashed a slew of judgment-laden terms that she associated with homosexuality. Quote-unquote. Vile and obscene invective. Morally bankrupt. Perversity. Noxious social consequences. Slouch back to Sodom, and so on. She invoked the slippery slope argument, popular among homophobes, that gay sex was equivalent to a host of other, mostly non-consensual sexual acts. Homosexuality, bestiality, incest, pedophilia. Do all these minority sexual practices merit protection? Teo went on to describe sex acts like rimming in graphic biological detail not heard before or since in Parliament. This crescendoed to an analogy that has since been lodged in the memory of all who heard it. The anus is designed to expel waste. When something is forcibly inserted into it, the muscles contract and cause tearing. Fecal waste, 
viruses caused by sperm and blood thus congregate with adverse health implications like gay bowel syndrome, anal cancer. Anal penetrative sex is inherently damaging to the body and a misuse of organs, like shoving a straw up your nose to drink. Alan Sia remembers. There was a moment where, you know, after her speech, where uh, so many in the house uh, were applauding and thumping their seats in approval of what she said, you know, and it was so, what she said was just so ugly, you know, and for them to applaud it, um, wow, that was, that was really a, a, a quite a, a, dis a hugely disappointing moment. Mm -hmm. Shocking and disappointing. The debate roiled on. The next day, Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong, son of former Singapore Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew, gave his concluding remarks on 377A. PM Lee seemed to concede some points to the pro-repealers. Gays, he said, were... As some of our friends, our relatives, our colleagues, our brothers and sisters, or some of our children. They too must have a place in this society, and they too are entitled to their private lives. But he went on. We do not approve of them actively promoting their lifestyle to others or setting the tone for mainstream society. We don't harass gays and we don't proactively enforce Section 377A on them. But this doesn't mean that we have reached a broad social consensus that this is a happy state of affairs. Therefore, we've decided to keep the status quo on Section 377A. It's better to accept the legal untidiness and the ambiguity. It was a classically Singaporean conclusion. It works. Don't disturb it. The repeal 377A movement had lost. Section 377A would remain in Singapore's penal code. It is still law today. Kam Hong says now that he never thought they'd succeed anyway. I just thought we needed to do it. In retrospect, uh, and maybe instinctively I had this sense, what I think was really the true success of the petition uh, to repeal 377A was for the first time uh, established that, hey, there are straight allies. There are a lot of straight allies. And it's not some kind of crazy fringe minority view. There is actually substantial public support for this. May, not, may or may not be the majority support, but there's a lot of support. And suddenly, everyone, whether you're gay or straight or straight ally or whatever, realise that, hey, we're not alone. Alan Sia agrees. No matter the outcome of the Penal Code Review, 2007 was a landmark year for gay rights in Singapore. It was significant that the Prime Minister even spoke about gay Singaporeans at all. He did acknowledge, you know, that we exist. He did acknowledge um, that we are valuable, uh, you know, uh, and I, that was something. Um, I'm not saying it, it was enough. Uh, it certainly wasn't, and it certainly didn't uh, 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 give us what uh, we needed, or you know. But I, it is something we can still refer to um, in these days, where we are still uh, fighting in many ways the same fight. And that's kind of my first realization that the ends justify the means. They were single laser focus. We are going to. We are going to keep this law, and it doesn't matter how we do it. The failure to repeal 377A in 2007 didn't surprise Ju Him either. 
What she hadn't quite anticipated, though, was how conservatives in Singapore, mostly Christians and Muslims, would rally to defend the law. When the public petition to repeal 377A was launched, a group referring to itself as the majority started a counter-petition, Keep 377A. This petition eventually garnered more than 15,000 signatures, outstripping both the public and parliamentary repeal petitions combined. Though, unlike those, the Keep 377A petition could be signed anonymously, without verification, as Kam Hong remembers. Basically, you could have gone in and done like 500, 500 signatures if you wanted, and they all counted, mm. right? I'm not saying that all of the numbers were fake, but clearly, the rigour of it was not quite there. But interacting with the anti-gay community online was one thing. Interacting with them in the flesh was another. At the time this was being debated in Parliament and we had a press conference about it, I was pregnant, <clears throat> very, very heavily pregnant. And we had attended the hearing in the gallery and walking, just walking past um, people who were pro-retained, the way they looked at us, just felt like, wow, there are people in this world who, who, who think like this. Mm. You know, they're actually fellow country people who look at us as evil. The looks she had received at that press conference had given Juhim chills. The same chills came back to her now at the AWARE AGM in 2009 as she read Jenica, Alan and Angela's letters and recognised the tenor of their arguments. Juhim had a good hunch about what was going down at the AWARE AGM, who these strangers were. Similar people involved, not identical, but the same group of people. In a flash, she had a vision of what lay ahead for AWARE. Well, first and foremost, they were not about to play nice. Back at AWARE's AGM, 28th March, 2009, enlisting the help of any friendly face within reach, Juhim frantically tried to pass along her new information to the rest of the room. There are known homophobes in our midst. Connie remembers now. They were standing at the back of the room and they were making signs to me, you know. I didn't want to interrupt the meeting. I was talking and talking and I moved towards the back and Juhim told me. And then, you know, that, but there's nothing I could do to stop the process, you know. The veteran AWARE members, upon processing this, immediately changed the tack of their questions to the candidates. Someone asked Honorary Treasurer candidate Maureen Ong if she believed in equal rights for gays and lesbians. I don't believe in that, Maureen said. In the audience, Halija Mohammad recalls the shock of hearing her come out and say this. I think if you truly believe, right, in, in anti, uh, uh, being uh, anti-discrimination, one targeted group are the gays and the lesbians. Really, really, they are this prominent group that is being targeted. And I think if you don't think that they require protection, then your thing, your, 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 what you say about, you know, I am not uh, 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 discriminatory and all that is bunkum. Angela Tiang chimed in. 
She was confused, she said, about the relevance of the issue. Why should AWARE even discuss supporting something that was illegal? Angela said, homosexuality is considered illegal under the laws in Singapore. That is a factual observation. A while later, the subject came up again, when the nominations opened for the six ordinary EXCO member seats. Longtime AWARE members Lina Lim and Halija Mohammad requested that each candidate answer a couple of specific questions. Just a note here, our recording of this meeting gets harder to make out as members shout at each other across the room. Lena said, can they say one thing that they hope to achieve for AWARE? And I would like to know what their personal affiliations are. Halija said, I also want to know if they are anti-gay and anti-lesbian. I specifically want them to answer this question. Sally Ang said, AWARE's mission is to advance the interests of women. But if you go into gays, that's men already. No, no, no. Schutz Lee replied, No, and lesbians, does sexual orientation bother you? We are about equality, you know, she said. A young AWARE Centre staff member piped up. Do you really want to be running in an organisation where you're in conflict with our ideals and our ideation? I mean, if you believe so strongly that in a certain way it's at odds with AWARE's vision, then by all means form your own group and push for issues. But here we're pushing for certain issues and we would like the people who are in position to be, have the same values and beliefs. Because that's what AWARE was built on. The idea of equality for all women, regardless of sexual orientation and regardless of their financial backgrounds and everything else. But Angela Tiang was not done. She took umbrage with what Lena and Halija had requested candidates to declare. She said, you're making people state their religious affiliations for what? So that you may discriminate against them on the basis of their religious beliefs? I believe that is unconstitutional in AWARE's society and according to the Singapore Constitution. Past President Lina Lim stood up to clarify in her stately manner. She had asked candidates to state personal affiliations, not religious ones, and LGBT rights were relevant to AWARE because AWARE's understanding of feminism was inclusive and intersectional. We feel that women have so far been discriminated against and we are a minority group, we are a marginalised group. And so in the same spirit, 
we should not match marginalize other groups, other sexual groups on the grounds of their sex, nor should we marginalize other people on the grounds of their uh, uh, other beliefs. We are inclusive in our approach. And there's no bargaining point on that. The meeting continued with the final round of candidates addressing the crowd. This batch ranged from veteran members throwing their hats into the ring to newcomers who said that they were friends of Claire Nazar. Some even cited Connie's Straits Times op-ed as their impetus. Hi everyone, I'm Karen. Uh, I'm a social worker by profession and I've been aware since year 2000, and I'm very happy to call myself a feminist now, after eight years in a row. Hi, my name is Josie. Uh, my background is in the um, area of um, events and sponsorship Hi, marketing. My name is Lois, so I can pronounce it as Lois. I'm a friend of Claire. When Claire asked me to stand as a committee member, I told Claire, I'm actually very busy because of the work that I'm doing. I'm a social entrepreneur. Hi, I'm Peggy. Um, I joined AWARE quite recently, actually in response to Constance's open letter to women on March the 8th. I told myself, okay, I've got to do something. And when Claire asked me to stand, I said, well, all right. The votes were carried out by a show of hands. When the dust settled, AWARE's new 2009 EXCO looked like this. President Claire Nazar, Vice President Charlotte Lim, Honorary Secretary Jenica Chua, Assistant Honorary Secretary Sally Ang, Honorary Treasurer Maureen Ong. After the President, that made four unknowns in the top EXCO positions. Five of the six ordinary EXCO member positions too went to unknowns. Irene E, Lois Ng, Peggy Leong, Catherine Tan, and Josie Lau. Besides Claire Nazar, only two veteran members had got onto the EXCO. Chu Ejin, who after running for vice president and losing to Charlotte, managed to clinch the position of assistant honorary treasurer by running unopposed. And Karis Lim, who had been with AWARE for eight years. Nine out of 12 EXCO seats had gone to total strangers. There was more AGM business to get to, but after three and a half hours, nobody felt up to it. All right, this has been a long day, so I am going to uh, recommend that the constitutional amendments be postponed to an EOGM because it will take another four hours. The AGM was officially over. It was a drink session that we felt we needed to have. That's Schutz Lee, then AWARE Centre Manager. A group of members, including Schutz, Connie, Dana, Halija, Juhim and Claire Nazar, decided to get drinks after the AGM. After all, it was already 6pm. At that drinks, to be honest, I think we were still trying to, you know, um, be positive, chin up, you know, and, you know, carry on. I was certainly going to go back and carry on as centre manager and uh, Claire was going to carry on as uh, president. I believe a, a meeting date, date had already been set for the first EXCO meeting uh, at the end of the proceedings. So, you know, we were all going to just um, carry on. Uh, in spite of the fact that something very unusual has happened. We're still pinching ourselves to go, it really happened, it really happened, it wasn't a dream. It was obvious to everyone that this had not been a normal election.
between various people who had their own opinions, we kind of sort of agree that this was a takeover. A takeover orchestrated perhaps by the same religious conservatives keeping an anti-gay law in Singapore's penal code. What did that mean for AWARE? They will be undoing everything that we have done. They will be damaging um, our, you know, the objectives. They will change everything. What about all the work and all the respect and, uh, that we have gained and um, a place in, in society as this strong women's organization who is speaking up? What's going to happen to all that? Beyond all this speculation, though, nobody knew anything. Halija sums up the session. Clearly, we have to do something, right? What that something was, we all don't know. We were all flapping like, in the dark, really. Mm. Yeah. Connie was a mess. That's Lillian Wong, who ran for three different exco seats at the AGM and lost every single one. Not that she gave a damn about that. In the aftermath of the meeting, all Lillian cared about was her close friend, Connie. Connie had kept it mostly together during the AGM, except for one moment of overwhelming emotion when she had blurted out, after the meeting and away from the spotlight, however, her tough veneer cracked. Connie was shattered. She was really shattered. She was crying a lot. She took it upon herself that this was her fault. It wasn't. It really wasn't. But she couldn't get out of it. She still hasn't gotten out of it. Lillian tried to comfort her friend. She told her, It is not you, the person, Connie. It's the organisation, you know? It was the organisation, its very openness, that had allowed this to happen. In fact, Lillian, former HR head for Singapore's luxurious Grand Hyatt Hotel, had thought way before this AGM that AWARE's constitution was a ticking time bomb. It allowed new members to run for office immediately, with nary a background check or minimum qualification criteria. I mean, that constitution then flawed me. And I, I come from a, an environment when everything is, you know, we must follow this straight. And I'm saying, how come it's so open, it's so loose? But Lillian had not thought it her place to flag this. I just thought, oh, well, they said that it was a, 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 an inclusive type of organisation. So I'm going, mm, yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, you, you, sometimes you're not that brave yet, you know, to, 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 to hey, hello, President, why is this like this, you know? Because then they, they get a little bit defensive, etc., etc. Okay, no, 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 you, you just let it flow. Actually, even if Lillian had brought this up, some AWARE members probably would have argued to keep the constitution the way it was. They were proud of the organisation's free and welcoming spirit. And membership was already so low. Why make joining any harder? Even now, knowing all that would ensue in the weeks to follow, I don't think I will say we were too open. Why won't because you? Because we believe in democracy and inclusiveness. And you cannot practice that without, without um, being open. Who needed due process when AWARE had trust? We had a drink and I went home and I couldn't sleep. 
For Connie, one drink was not going to take the edge off that disastrous AGM. Helpless. I was feeling very helpless. I was feeling, um, I don't know. I remember being uh, in a couch. I didn't even open my windows, nothing. It was a dark room and I was sitting there in a fetal position thinking, oh God, what happened? What happened to us? What happened to us? She blamed herself as aware president, but she also blamed the other veteran members for their absence, their complacency, their abdication of responsibility as so-called activists. And there was one other thing at the back of everyone's minds that evening. We couldn't talk openly because Claire was with us, you know? A number of the newcomers had mentioned being friends with Claire Nazar. Claire herself was a relatively new member she had just joined 13 months before, and she had ascended smoothly, unchallenged to the seat of president, unlike everybody else in the pre-planned election lineup. Could they trust Claire? Could they trust their own chosen successor, the woman now standing at the helm of AWARE? I just thought that she was a spy, and that she was planted in there to become the president, and then to help all these other people take over AWARE. That was my, my conclusion. On the next episode of Saga. Uh, Claire Nazar, we had a very good working relationship, you know. If she was orchestrating the takeover, <clears throat> she would have been an incredibly good actor for none of us to suspect. They must have checked the AWARE constitution and seen, oh boy, this, this <laughs> group is an open door. Anyone can go in and become the president tomorrow. Let's do it. So mm. I said, Connie, we have to write a story about this. It has so many twists and turns. I mean, for want of a better word, I mean, it was very soap operatic, you know? So it was a saga, yeah. For this podcast, we reached out to Claire Nazar, Alan Chin, Tio Li An, and the newcomers who stood for election at AWARE's AGM in 2009. They either declined or did not respond to our interview requests. Saga is hosted by me, Bharati Jagdish. It was written and produced by Jasmine Ng and Kelly Liao. Audio post-production by Mocha Chai Laboratories, with sound design by Chong Sin Ying and Amelia Sai. Noraina Sapari was our associate producer, and Bali Kaur Jaswal was our story consultant. Original score by Wei Shen Din of the band Dot Jif, and additional music from the Free Music Archive under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. Artwork by John Albrecht. Gwen Lim was our marketing strategist. We received editorial assistance from Caspan Paraskasis Narayan, Lim Tertien, Megan Tan, and a tireless group of interns. We're also grateful to Splice Studios and Neon Sound. Visit aware.org.sg slash saga for bonus clips, links to archival material, an interactive timeline, character map, and more.